the fifth kind. Mary Edwards has a multi-generational relationship with outer space. Mary's daughter, Mary herself, her father, her grandfather, all involved in the space program and specifically in their work with NASA. When Mary embarked on a career based in arts, you might think that would take her a million miles away from the space program, but in fact, her background in the space program on one side of her family and architecture on another side of the family has led her to interior design for the International Space Station, also hospitals and hotels, and her work has focused on making the psychological impact of confined spaces more livable, something very relevant to a lot of us in 2021. Barbara Lamb, whom we are welcoming back to the Fifth Kind TV, is a licensed psychotherapist whose work in family and child therapy goes back more than 40 years. For more than 25 years, Barbara has honed an approach that was really championed by the late Professor John Mack and has personally regressed more than 2,000 people, helping them to recover memories of close encounters. Her personal catalogue of case studies in this field is without parallel. Mary and Barbara, welcome to The Fifth Kind TV. Thank you. Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. I am really looking forward to speaking with you both today. Your backgrounds are absolutely astonishing on their own. Brought together, it's an amazing catalogue of experience and expertise. And I'm really excited to talk about your recent collaboration because you have come together to help children and families with children experiencing close encounters. So I want to talk about that and perhaps start off by asking how you found each other, what led you into collaborating, and what was it that formed the idea of creating a book that would specifically help families with children experiencing close encounters? Well, Mary found me, so I, I will leave that to her. Okay, well, I um, should I talk a little bit about my background first? Sure, or? Okay. I'll just explain a bit. I am an interior designer and an artist and having designed thousands of interiors uh, locally and globally and uh, always with the help, the intention to make people feel better and more practical and comfortable and loved really within their sanctuary or space, whether it's a hotel or a restaurant or a uh, whatever it is, to make them feel at home in that space, to create a sense of place that was cross-cultural and happy and func function for their own particular needs. Um, I taught art therapy and art to children. I, designed, I taught design to college students and inspired their interest in space as well over the last few decades. And then I worked for NASA doing the interiors of the, helping do the interiors of the International Space Station for NASA at Moffett Field and Johnson Space Center as part of the, their first ever space human factors office that was started with Dr. Von Clearwater and NASA here at Moffett Field in the early 1990s near where I live. Our mission was to de-stress astronauts and create a multi-sensory interior that was functional, cross-cultural, and personal. My mission and passion today remains the same to be a bridge and to use my training in art 
interior design and architecture to connect people on earth with civilizations in space. I grew up with a father and grandfather who were rocket scientists that ignited my interest in space as a little girl from the North Shore of Chicago. Our nights gazing up at the stars over Lake Michigan and stories of rocket ships in outer space captured my imagination and heart. I painted rocks with planets on them and wrote NASA at age nine to be trained to be the first woman astronaut. Also from early childhood, starting at age five, I had encounters with extraterrestrials but did not know who they were or why they wanted me up on a spacecraft with them. Even though my father designed and manufactured heavy rocketry from World War II to 1980 with NASA and the US United States government, with their family owned aeronautical space company and labs, neither he nor my mother ever listened to or spoke to me about these weird experiences I had on a craft at five and six and 10. Dr. Werner von Braun actually worked with their company for five years designing rockets back in that first exciting space race that I grew up in at the dinner table every night between the Russians and the stories that were just fascinating. My maternal grandfather was an architect. So both earth and space design were the bulk of our conversations throughout my whole childhood and still till every many of them have my dad, my grandfather passed away in the last 10 years. Um, with additional trips on craft at age six and age 10 years old, while I found these disorienting and isolating and scary, they were also filled with wonder and they were life-changing for me and got me even more connected to space back at that in my, in my early childhood. Then during ch adulthood, I gradually realized that I am an ET human hybrid and that I have eight of my own hybrid kids, six living on Earth, they're all in their 20s, living on Earth, three living in China, one's on a craft, two live in South America, and one passed away, and now four young children to other kids, and there are four of them in children and 18 and 20 living in the Pleiades in spirit. And I also learned that I come from a multi-generational family that goes back to the early 1700s and has a particular strand of space DNA interwoven that is math, science, design, architecture, and aesthetics in there too, I've been told by several people, woven into it. Everyone has special DNA, but I thought that was interesting hearing that from several different people. I learned that the NASA and the government also included being part of a positive gray hybridization program, and that I have had one hundred that I have one hundred of my own eggs from those first two early flights on craft still available. I don't know if they've been used or not. I know these eight or ten have. Um, and Barb today, Barbara's in my mission, and also I was part of my lab and a robotic program that I'm still trying to figure out uh, sort of quietly right now. And also a positive gray program that my dad and my grandfather were involved in. That's why he was on the spacecraft with me in those, uh, those one or two early trips. Uh, but today, Barbara's in my mission is to tell you about our book to help inspire and educate the next generation of space pioneers, the children's and their parents too. Like me, 
we want them to be excited and turned on by space in a positive light. So finally writing, being able to write and publish this book recently with the fantastic Barbara here was a miracle to find her. And it was the right time with, with my level of information, the space race was back and in vogue. And um, I, I validated, I validated most of my experiences as much as I could. So I felt like there was a story and I needed to find somebody that really had that background and that vast, amazing background. And nobody in the world has it like Barbara does. Um, so that that's why we're here today. So we got it, pub, we wrote it and we published it and I illustrated it this last year and are delighted to have it out right now. So Mary, that's an incredible background that you have. And I'm going to come back a little bit later to how you've made this journey with some of this knowledge that you've had, the memory of encounters that you've had, a lot of secrecy in your family around their involvement in the space program and the secret space program. Clearly, uh, you just had to meet Barbara and get into this collaboration for the sake of others, but also as part of your own journey and processing your your own experiences. How did you actually meet? What was it that drew you together? I, I went to Con uh, Conscious Life Expo three years ago. Was it three years ago? Yeah, two years so, ago. Three years ago. And I was on a mission. I'm always on a mission to hear the most interesting people. I had already heard you, Barbara, and a few other people that I was going to like sort of watch and listen to and feel out if they would be the positive, energetic, kind, loving, experienced people that would it, it would take to work on a book like this together. So I, I talked to Linda and Barbara and a few other people and I went, Barbara's it. And I went up to her and I said, can we, can I have a regression with you? And I'd love to meet you. And we clicked right away. And she was kind enough to spend a few minutes with me. And after many phone calls, I am very persistent. I finally said, I'm down in LA. I live in San Francisco. I'm coming this weekend. How about we do a couple of regressions? And I just said, you know, I've been looking for somebody to do a book. And we were talking about space and ETs at dinner the first night I arrived in San Diego and um, said, is this something you'd like to do? And we just both jumped on it and said, oh my God. And it was perfect. She had all this incredible decades of work. I, I didn't, I had my own story, but, um, and I just fell in love with her. Like you and everyone does. There's nobody like Barbara Lamb on the planet with a more positive attitude. So that's Indeed. how, and we started, I said, you know, we called them the next week and we, she went through, we went through a lot of her regressions. She picked ones that she thought would be, we have 18 of them, which she'll tell you about in a few minutes. And um, we wanted to pick of the best variety of those. And I'd never illustrated a book. I've just helped design the Star Trek logo and worked at firms for 30 years, but I'd never drawn, drawn a reptilian. I would, Barbara would say, <laughs> I'd send her a picture. She said, no, 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 no. That's what I've been. It was a funny back and forth to make sure that the book was told in a, in a fun and positive way with sort of childlike drawings. It was really great yes. that I, we wanted I, to keep it childlike and simple. I didn't want, I said, yes. I'm not going to 
attacked by people that their reptilian looked different than somebody else's. So anyway, we we had a ball all year working on it, and it's just uh, let you take the helm right now. But it was it was a it was meant to be, I really believe, and it's just been a delight getting to know you. And we just got to spend a whole week together at the Mega UFO Conference about six weeks ago, and it was a blast sitting with her, actually, and just listening to people all day long and talking and getting interviewed, the things that we were doing. But it was just wonderful to actually physically be by her side all day long listening yes. to wonderful stories. It was just a gift. So I should say I absolutely love E.T. Friends in Space. It is a beautiful book. I love the way you've illustrated it, Mary, because it makes it so unthreatening and accessible. And it's very easy to see how a family could sit down with this book and read it together. But Barbara, let me ask you, Barbara, I feel we should write a book together. What was it that made you think, yes, actually, this book with Mary, this really is one I want to write. Well, I remember the moment exactly uh, when the light went off and uh, we decided to do this. Uh, Mary was down for regressions for a weekend, as she said, and she was talking about a book which she had already written and had a, um, a beautiful mock-up copy of uh, about interesting getting kids interested in space and space travel. And I was really impressed with that book. And I thought, wow, this lady is really on the ball and she's really creative. And it suddenly occurred to me when we were talking about her space book that I can remember it felt like a light went off within me. And I thought, oh, we there should be a book for children about children's extraterrestrial experiences and Mary you know responded immediately to that and I think that's when we decided so I knew that she was capable of putting together a wonderful book for children and I liked her illustrations I liked the simplicity with which she expressed herself in that book to children so I thought oh this is a gift. This is perfect. Thank you, universe, you know, for sending this woman to me. Uh, we can do this together. I, I've got so much material about children's experiences, and she has all these other abilities and this great outreach uh, motivation to children and educating them about space. And at that point, um, I didn't realize of how very involved, I knew she was somewhat involved in the extraterrestrial encounter experience, but I didn't realize, I think at that point, uh, and I don't think she was sure about that either, until a little while later, um, about being a hybrid and having her hybrid children and having had these trips off, off our planet to other planets and all that sort of unfolded in her awareness subsequent to that but I did know that um, she was really sincerely interested in people's experiences with extraterrestrial and had all these wonderful abilities and talents and energy and enthusiasm 
So I, I felt like, wow, this is just a gift, total gift to both of us that we met and that we could combine. And it's you know, really been an adventure. It has. And also, too, I knew that was me on the cover. That was me as the little girl going in. And I knew I'd had those experiences. And I would asked Dr. Von Clearwater when I worked at NASA a long time ago, I said, we have to do something for NASA for kids, for people like me. I mean, I knew that that. that and she yes. said, are you kidding? We're Donna Johnson. You wanted to do a full-size mock-up so we could test 3,000 people for pupillary dilation and heartbeat. I said, yeah, but we can still fit it in. She said, forget it. I knew it was too busy. And I hadn't, I didn't know all that other information. I knew that I had been on a craft because I've seen those memories since I was five and six and 10. And I just was a single parent. I was working. I loved my career. I was working, you know, de-stressing astronauts. I was distressing people at hospitals. I was, and now we're de-stressing kids. So I knew there was, and, and then when we were talking about you know, just what our interests were too. It was like, this is made in heaven because I knew you could help validate the stories. And I knew it was my story, even though I didn't have the confidence completely then, really, I knew it was me and I knew I had those experiences. But when you have your brainwashed, I mean, I, that's why I have 30,000 pictures on my phone. I literally have had my brainwashed, I, but I do remember those early crafts. And I do remember zooming around in space a lot throughout my life that I have my space art that, I, that I'm doing. But this um, is, it was- This is why, I th carry on. No, I'm sorry, and that's why that was such a, a, a moonshot meeting because we got yes. launched together and it was just delightful. I never stay up till midnight and we were talking till the cows came home. <laughs> Continued on, oh, that was stop for me, but we're <laughs> well, just getting going. <laughs> What you're saying relates to one of the things I think is really important about the book that you've created. I haven't seen a book like this before that is really aimed at helping children. To listen to the experiences of children and then process yes. it together. But I wanted to take it back to a really basic kind of question. There's the cover. That's what it looks like. E.T. Friends in Space. I'm a parent, I've got young kids, and so we're still in that phase of life where our sleep is interrupted, as it was last night, by a young child running into our bedroom saying, Mommy, Daddy, I've had a bad dream. But sometimes they will run in and they might say something, uh, there, there are these dark shadow people who are just staring at me in the room and they're scaring me. Or a kid might come in and say, there's a monster in my room, I don't know what every time is to say they're there go back to sleep everything's all right and to pacify the child calm the child down what are the clues a parent might pick up on that no this is not a bad dream this is not a night terror but they the children are actually experiencing some other kind of entity and may need some help processing what they're experiencing what are what are the clues well, a parent should look for? I think the uh, parents would do very, very well to ask a little bit, ask some questions when the child says like that. Like, what exactly did you see? Well, did they do anything? Uh, did they come to you? 
you know, what do you remember about that whole experience? I mean, for them, it was an experience. Whether it's a dream. In other words, um, parents very typically, uh, when a child reports things like this, uh, the parents very typically say, oh, it must have been just a dream. Don't worry about it. Go back to bed. Or, oh, it must be just your imagination. You have a vivid imagination. Or they'll say, oh, it must have been your imaginary friends. Those are very typical things that many children uh, have reported that their parents. And so the child, as Mary very well knows, um, the, the child then goes back to bed very confused and often frightened. And they've been denied. In other words, their real experience has been denied. So and they they learn very quickly that it doesn't pay to try to talk to their parents and and that's fairly distressing so as Mary knows and has expressed uh, those children are kind of all alone in that experience and they grow up feeling alone confused baffled sometimes traumatized at least very confused and so these children uh, usually will grow up and go all the way through adulthood till age 40, 50, 60, 70. And then finally, you know, enough little pieces of memories have come back or they discover markings on their body and they don't have any idea how they could have gotten there. Um, or they'll hear other people's reports of having extraterrestrial encounters. And they'll read things, they'll see things on YouTube. And and so, you know, piece by piece comes together. And they finally, many of them will come to me and others who do this regression work uh, to try to find out what has been happening to them. So in other words, a person can carry this for many decades, you know, these memories from childhood and here and there in adulthood too. And all that time, while they've been going on through their busy lives, they've been having a bit of distress, sometimes distress, in carrying uh, these memories of things that they knew happened, but they had no one to talk to. And that's why I think a lot of the UFO conferences now are offering experiencer support groups for these people who've uh, had these experiences with ETs and and really wonder about them and wonder if anybody else has had an experience like that. And I started those meetings way back in 1995 at the International UFO Congress. And fortunately, they're still happening at those conferences and many other UFO conferences have been offering those groups as well. So that's a, that's a really big help. But I think that's that's so valuable. I know from people who contact me that sometimes the experience itself, though puzzling, has not been terrifying, but it's the effect of being disbelieved or yes. shut down or told that you didn't experience it or it was something else that is actually more distressing and more isolating than the experience itself. And I know your book is 
called ET Friends in Space, which suggests that some of these experiences are not terrifying. They may be mystifying and puzzling, but they're not terrifying or scary. But then there are others at the other end of the spectrum that are less pleasant experiences. Yeah. On the basis of your work, what is the spectrum? How many people are reporting awful, traumatizing experiences and how, how many you're saying, oh, I've got these visitors, and actually they're quite nice. Well, I don't have exact numbers for that, but um, many people begin looking into this work um, thinking that they've had, most likely, uh, traumatic experiences. And then, very often, when they do the regression and find out that these strange beings who were in their room at night or pick them up on the way home from school or wherever the experience started. And anyway, when they're on the craft um, and unusual things are happening, like maybe, for instance, a medical type of examination, lying on a cold, hard table with these very odd beings standing around, well, that in itself uh, can be very frightening because you just don't know what to expect of them. You, mm. you don't know what they're really like or what they intend, but very often um, in the regressions, uh, people find out, whether they're a child or older, uh, that what's happening with this physical examination is actually helpful for them. In other words, a lot of children who experience this sort of thing with the other beings realize after a while on the medical table that the extraterrestrials are either finding something physically wrong in that person's body and will warn them about it and tell them to get help from their own doctor when they go home. Or, in many cases, the ETs will actually heal that condition that the person has. Now, this applies to children as well. And yes. a lot um, are taken and maybe they have a cold or they have a sore throat, you know, nothing fatal, but certainly uncomfortable and unwanted. And the beings will do a couple of things. Uh, sometimes they will give them a big glass of what looks like a dark green liquid to drink. And after they've been drinking that, they, the child realizes, oh, wow, I feel great now that whatever that illness was has been cured. And other times, a child who may be sick with a cold or something uh, will be put in what looks like a, a bathtub-shaped mm -hmm. um, object. And, um, and they'll kind of sit down in that. And yes, here's a picture from our book about a little boy in a tub-like situation with the ET standing around. And you can see there's green liquid, sort of a, a viscous green liquid, and that absorbs through the skin of the child, and the child gets healed. They, they have so many ways of healing, and uh, of children and adults as well. And a lot of the methods of healing are done with some sort of light apparatus. Yes. Um, now, this the, is very, very uh, typical. We have an example of that in the book, too, 
And then in this particular picture, uh, the extraterrestrial blue Arcturian being is sending energy through her hands and teaching the little girl how to do healing herself. And so I've known children that have seen a wounded bird or a wounded dog or cat or something and immediately had empathy and sympathy and went right over to that animal, raised the hands, sent energy out through their hands and healed that bird or animal. And they can see the healing. I mean, within the next few hours, that life form just regenerates and perks up and flies away or walks away, healed. Uh, so, and then, uh, so children sometimes by the ETs are taught how to heal other people. So, what I'm getting to here is that what seems like might be a really frightening and invasive project or process done on the child often turns out to be a wonderful opportunity for their learning these new really valuable skills which they can come back and and use here on earth in their uh, lives are we just passive in this realm of close encounters is it just a matter of some of us get visited some of us don't because many people listening to this would say i would love some of that green liquid it would save me a lot of money and a lot of distress if i could get my ailments fixed how do i get some pleiadian healing i would like it too well it seems like the agreement to have these experiences with extraterrestrials it, that agreement is made on the soul level uh, this I have found out with many, many people. And that means that when a soul is getting ready to come into a lifetime, an incarnation here on Earth, uh, that the soul is having kind of a planning session, usually with some other souls, kind of as guides and advisors. And into that planning session will come the soul of two or more extraterrestrial beings. Yes, indeed, when they die, they go into a spirit realm as well. And the souls of the extraterrestrials will say, now that you're gonna go into that lifetime and you've been deciding many of the main things that you'll be experiencing and learning in that life, would you agree to work with us on occasion? and we're learning a lot about human beings and some of them are very very caring about human beings we'd like to be able to have contact with you and do some things with you would that be all right and that soul of the person says yes yes that would be all right now just like all the other things that we forget from the soul level that we have decided before coming into a lifetime usually we forget those and we're lucky if during our lifetime we have some sort of hit or inclination uh, to know why we came uh, but often people don't and usually they don't remember this 
contact with the extraterrestrial souls, but they have really on the soul level, they have made that agreement. So that's one reason why some people, I think that's a very, very valid reason. In fact, probably why. I remember that. I I got that and I've had that validated and why I'm still a lot of Pleiadian and, and Arcturian and Syrians, thirdly, and many other things, is that I did have an agreement. When I was in my mother's womb, I've been told by many different people over the last few years that they, because with my father and my grandfather, I agreed to these things, and the hyper, as well as the hybridization, and I, and that's why when all these hundred or 150 people since I was 18 years old said, you're a star being, you agreed to this when you were in your mother's womb, whether I was in India or Hong Kong or Boulder or San Francisco, they all said the same thing to me. And I thought, okay, I get it. I, I, I did agree to this. And I've talked to my father up in the ether and I said, were we part of this? And he said, yes, I've talked to him a few times through somebody and that Shirley who just passed away on Friday. And he said, yes. He said, well, I couldn't talk to you about a lot of things is because of country, duty country and agreements but those yes we did go back a long 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 time yes. and why there was a little bit of the a little bad there and but mostly positive but yes i mean I've, I've just had that validated the last year which is just unbelievable and makes sense to me so i'm yeah. sorry that was a very good reason for you as a soul to choose that particular family to be born into See, we, that's another thing, too. On the soul yes. level, we choose the parents and the whole situation. Well, Barbara, you have taken us straight to what was going to be my next question, which is about <laughs> families and families' relationships with close encounters because, um, again, often people will come to me, they will share an experience. They may be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, often in their 60s, and they they will share an experience that maybe happened to them when they were 15 years old that they can remember. Right. Uh, and they'll say, I haven't told anybody about this other than my spouse, but can I talk to you about it? Because I still need to process what happened. Yeah. They'll share the experience. And often I'll say, did either of your parents have experiences like this in, in their lives? And they'll say, oh, no, I don't think so. I, I've never mentioned this to my mum or dad. I don't think so. But then about a week later, they'll come back and say, I mentioned it to my dad. And he said, okay, son, as you've said that, let me tell you what happened to me when I was 15. And all yeah. of a sudden, they realize, oh, my goodness. This is a pattern in our family. And then they might say, and your grandmother also had some anomalous experiences. And from the, the person will go from having felt very isolated, possibly for decades by this experience, to realizing their whole family has a tradition of experiences relating to close encounters. You're nodding your head, Barbara. So I think this is a common story. <laughs> Millions of us that we keep finding more and more now. It's unbelievable, right? That's why the book is so important because the the experiences and talking about it triggers it. We hear that all the time on all these, and I know you both hear it all the time too. It really does help. That's why this book was so important right now when things, UAPs and UFOs are coming into people's radar, whether certain people yes. like it or 
not, we are the disclosure. We ourselves here talking about it now are the disclosure. So many, uh, many, many experiencers come to realize, as you're saying, Paul, uh, that it's a multi-generational thing. Some of the ET species really like to follow a genetic line. So a person living today might have a father and a, maybe a grandmother, maybe a great aunt, an aunt or uncle, and a, one parent at least. And then if that experiencer has children, probably at least one of the children will be an experiencer also. Yes. So some of the species, I don't think all of them who interact with people, but some of them really do definitely follow a genetic line through various generations. That's part of their research. You yes. see, that uh, some of the extraterrestrial beings are really serious researchers and scientists, and they want to know everything that they can possibly know about us humans, if that happens to be their subject of research. And so that's that's why they take people and they poke and probe and study our bodies and test our bodies and take samples of this and that and the other thing from us and um, subject us to various experiences. And with some of them, the more scientific types, it seems like we are primarily research subjects. However, with other extraterrestrial species, it seems like they want us for very different purposes. Sometimes to teach, to coach, to upgrade, to educate, um, to help us develop, help us develop a whole cosmic awareness. And they would love to see, many of these species, they'd love to see the whole human race rise in consciousness. They'd like to see us evolve. And some of them have said to the ET human hybrids whom I have researched who live on Earth, um, that uh, they want humanity to eventually evolve enough to deserve being part of the great galactic federation of many, many benevolent planets or civil benevolent civilizations on many planets. And so there is this whole upgrading of humanity movement going on from many of the extraterrestrials. And then again, as I said, there are some that seem to be more serving of themselves and they're interested in us for their their own reasons. It's their own research. Yes. So there's a lot. People sometimes say to me, oh, what are the aliens like? And I, I always have to say, well, it depends on which ones you're talking about because it, a tremendous range of yes. different kinds of beings that, that come to us and interact with us. And, uh, but I always like to bring forth that because there's so much scary press about extraterrestrials and yes. abductions, and there are those. I do not deny it for a moment. But there's so much 
good, so many good contacts and encounters and taking on to the craft. I don't even call them abductions. I call them experiences or encounters or trips. Uh, there's so many good ones too. And I think that it's very important for people to know that and particularly for children to know that even though the beings might seem very scary who come into their room at night and take them away, as so often happens, um, that even then these beings might be doing them some yes. good. They might be helping them. Maybe they're maybe they examine them and do things like that that the children don't like. But so often if we look carefully enough through a regression, which is really a reliving of that whole encounter experience, moment by moment from the very beginning awareness right through to the end of being returned to where they were taken from. Um, it's really worth finding out the details of those experiences for reassurance. Yes. So adults who come to me uh, thinking that they're going to regress to an experience they happened that happened to them at maybe age 28 or 37 or 54 or 17, uh, one of those experiences that really stands out and they keep wondering about. So if we'll do the regression to go back into that particular experience, uh, we get the details of that experience. And also, sometimes when they're in the regression and I'm having them really have a look at the beings who are around them doing various things, I will say to the person, um, are any of these familiar? Do you think you've seen any of these before? And will very often register and say, oh yeah, that one over there on the right, and then the one next to him. Oh my goodness, I remember seeing them, wow, even when I was a child. And that will flip them back into a childhood extraterrestrial encounter and then we'll go through that one and then when we're finished with the session the person might say oh you know I never realized I was having those experiences as a child but now I know that I did you know the people find that reassuring when they realize oh actually this has been going on for decades of my life and I've been unaware of it. Well, is it reassuring I mean, or is it the opposite? Reassuring to me because I know sure. that every time I ever went up at an age 10, when I remember something on my head, I've asked so many people, each time I've gone up to one of these planets at, at, in 1956, 57, 82, 92, seven times this, this summer, you know, and I was at the Pleiades August 20th, I'm doing something for them. They're giving me more clairvoyant dumps. They're putting more beta into my brain. They're helping me. I mean, age 10, I really remember waking up one time. It was like, oh, my God, what's happened to me? I'm not having difficulty with my dyslexic thing. I can sort of write. I can do math better. 
they have helped me as I've been helping them refreshing interiors. They've been helping refresh me. I feel them here a lot. I know they've been watching. I've been told by the Palladians on the phone for 10 or 15 years, they said, write the book. I said, I'm not ready yet. I don't have anything to say yet. And I, when I talked to them again a few months ago, I said, what next? And they said, do another one. Keep going. We love what you're doing. They are so supportive of everything. And I, last month I felt, I told you this, Barbara, I felt somebody like in my bedroom by my bed, like poking around. I was like, okay, I know you're here now. I'm starting to feel things. But um, I, I evidently have the same Palladians who have, been, who have been with me since I was in the womb. And I've been validated by that many times on these these calls over the last three years. It's just unbelievable. I've when I felt so alone my whole life, and I could just start crying right now. I feel like I have my soul family. I feel like I have the Pleiadians and the Arcturians, particularly. I'm, and and I just feel so loved and so supported. And somebody at the UFO conference said, I said, oh, what about a, you know, an earthquake in San Francisco? I said, I know I'm going to be protected. I know that sounds crazy, but nothing is normal in my life. <laughs> I mean, but I really yeah. do feel protected. I mean, I'm also yes. a girl, so I, I designed a poster for earthquake preparedness a long time ago. But um, the support that you've heard and you've heard, I, I've been digging, I've been doing it daily for the last three years. It's just been unbelievable, the love and the compassion that I have felt. And that's why this book for us is so important because that is me. I used to wear bows in my hair. And that's, you know, one of my ET friends that was up on the craft. And this is a beautiful Arcturian that's always been holding my hand. And it's it's just unbelievable that we got together to help validate my life. All these millions of people that are going to come out of the, I call it the ET closet over the next many years. Yes. Particularly when they start coming here. Hopefully this will be an aid to, to the kids and the parents and others to help them get the confidence that I waited for for so long. Oh, yes. Like this, conversations like this, that this book is triggering, and thank yes. you for having us. And even just some of the, the comments that we got that you were kind enough to give us, and William Henry said, what a lovely book. It will link readers in deep communion with our ancient heritage and will embolden their walk on the paths to the stars. And Mary Rodwell, I don't know if I should be saying this out loud, but I am. ET friends in space, of course, we're doing a little bit of this because it feels good to get positive feedback. Like you wrote a really, the most beautiful long one. I'm not gonna bore you with it, you know what, but. <laughs> it was wonderful. But the information explains the reality of extraterrestrial encounters in pictures. Acknowledging the reality children do have of these off-world experiences, but in the non-delightful, threatening format is wonderful. I believe it will be an important aid when parents discover that it, this is relevant to their child. It can help both parents and their children to understand what these experiences can mean. I have six grandchildren who will not hesitate to give this book to them, which not only educates the new awake generation, but helps to normalize experiences which are far more prevalent globally than the public realize. And I think that's what yes. you know, we're doing. Well, thank you. I thank you. Uh, I think it's so important. And 
amen to everything that was in that review. Um, if anyone has not heard uh, a child give a report of a close encounter that they thought was credible, I'd encourage them to watch The Phenomenon, the James Fox movie, because in that he's got footage of the Rua encounter out of uh, Zimbabwe. And yeah. So there you can see footage of children reporting experiences and you can judge for yourself the innocence and directness with which they're describing this experience. And I wanted to come to that experience because we were talking earlier about book. We were talking earlier about the concern for human consciousness. Many experiences report experiencers report heightened cognitive abilities after their encounters. But in the Rua encounter, there was kind of an ecological message as well. And I wondered if that's been part of what you've heard, Mary or Barbara, from your encounters yes. with some of our visitors. Yeah. And yes. Let me just read this, what we put in the book from that story. That's um, a picture of the Ariel School. This is the... Lives, exactly. That's been, you know, nationally, and you know it. My cousin lives in Zimbabwe, Africa. One day during recess, a big silver ship landed near the school play yard. A little gray man with really black eyes told her to tell everyone to take good care of our earth. He said our earth is in trouble and needs everyone's help. So yeah. take it from there. I'm about to start crying because it is <laughs> that moves me more than any of them. So, so I find that really interesting because we've got different agendas from different visitors. Some are indifferent to us, some are here for stuff to do with the planet, but some are here because they have a great uh, interest and affection for humanity and a concern for how we're living on the planet. And it's very different to what we've often heard in the sort of invasion of the body snatchers, Mars attacks, Independence Day sort of narrative about our visitors. When I go to world mythology or ancestral narratives about contact in the deep past, very often it's stories of benevolent that nurtured our ancestors in their ability to live in harmony with the planet. And it would seem we're in another phase of our history where that's quite a relevant message for us to be taking on board. Well, and that's what we're doing here in 2021. The t this moment is about helping heal the planet. And we that's why we, Starseeds, are here. And people are choosing whether to look down or look up and be part of the great consciousness shift to help make a difference however we can. It's our, this is our little ripple effect that we're all doing here. And if everybody played their part to jump on to help a kinder nicer. I mean, COVID is no surprise that it's killing our lungs. Our lungs of Mother Earth have are dying. And I've, that's why I went to graduate school. After I went to architecture and design school and art school, I went to sustainability school, Presidio Graduate School here and in the executive program. And there were 50 people from all over the world that came in 10 years ago and said, I want to heal hospitals. I want to do this. I want to get rid of the gyre, the plastic gyre. It was unbelievable. They're the top school in the world right now. And I was tiddlywinks compared to what these people were doing. But I was so inspired. Like, Barbara, talk about your friend with John Mack and talk about this ex example of how those kids all are now helping the planet in some capacity who were experienced. Mm. They've been 
they've been interviewed as adults now. They've all grown up. And um, Randall Nickerson, for one, has gone repeatedly to that town in Zimbabwe and has interviewed a lot of those children now that they're grown-ups. And uh, some of them, most of them, I think are still extremely affected in a very deep way, a positive way, a mysterious way, of, by those visits that they had with the extraterrestrials when they were children. And some of them are really devoting their life work to helping the planet. Some of them maybe not quite as directly as, as some of them, but it, it really did make an impression. And there's another school uh, somewhere else, I've forgotten now where it is, but Preston Dennett has written about that. Another school where a UFO came and landed near the schoolyard and the, the ET visitors came into the schoolyard and talked to the children too. And I think it was that same basic message to do everything they could to help the earth. So that's great. And then many adults are given uh, this message as well. Yes. Yeah. And so a lot of these beings from off planet, they may look really different than we do. We, we may not know what to expect of them. And yet many, many of them are extremely caring and very benevolent and really want to help humanity to survive and improve and for the earth, of course, to, to be saved and the earth itself to thrive. So now that learn this, it's really wonderful because that kind of learning can stay with them their entire lives. Yes. Partly why I wrote this in the front. I mean, I was made fun of because I was dyslexic. I was ADD. I was drawing spaceships when everybody else was drawing little stick figures. But this picture, I don't know if you can see it. I'm not aiming it at you very well. I'm sorry. Is all planets and all people are the same different. And, you know, the... ETs come in all different shapes and form. They think it's ridiculous that we're sitting here fighting about different colors here on this in the United States when they come up, you know, 50 feet tall with hair and, you know, in all these different shapes and forms. But that's why I wanted to draw that and want put that in here because all planets and all people are different and we ain't seen nothing yet. We may not be here when they are coming. I have been told by the Palladians I'm going to help them come to earth too because of my real estate and my design stuff and i can't wait i hope in the next 20 30 years before i pass on to the next level that i can and hopefully help them do spaces not off planet but at our on our planet too i've seen a view and it, it would be it that's the message is compassion yes that's love for all bring back the loving kindness and the lack of you know, bring back unity instead of division and yes. that's what we're talking about we're doing our little part every day like all the people the listeners that are here and um, there's a lot of hope and positivity that we have to buy into and not get pulled into the negative darkness and despair that is uh, really getting us now and people are really feeling it and flipping off the planet, people can't cope with it. That's I, I absolutely agree. 
Now, the book E.T. Friends in Space has a very interesting subtitle, which is that it's based on real accounts. And I think there are 18 different scenarios that yes, you illustrated are. in the book, different experiences that are reported. Can you just yes. share some examples of the kinds of scenarios that children do report? Oh, well, Mary, some, and I'll mention a couple, too. Uh, oh, here, we begin. Oh, yeah, go ahead. I love that one. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, with a little boy in his pajamas who's been taken up from his bed in the middle of the night, and here he is on a spaceship, and he's looking out a huge window on the spaceship and looking at a planet, and then in the distance is planet Earth. And he is so excited, and he says... I'm always excited when my space friends let me see Earth through the big window. Really cool. None of the other kids at home get to see this. And so that, that's one of the experiences that um, is, is really, really positive for these kids. And another one um, is of kids sitting around in a circle see, I hope I can show that. I um, don't know how well that shows, but uh, a couple of little human kids, thank you, are um, sitting around in a circle in a round room on a round spaceship, and there are a couple of ETs there by the side kind of guiding the whole thing. And we see those little children, like in the blue and red clothes, um, they are hybrid children. ET human hybrid children. So they've got very scraggly, straw-like hair. And then there's another little extraterrestrial over on the left. And, um, and then a couple of human children and uh, in the foreground and a little ET. And then in the middle is a basketball. And these children have been put into this classroom on the UFO and they've been taught how to move things with their mind simply by focusing their mind. Teleportation, in other words. And so they begin with learning to move a feather put in on the floor in the middle of the circle. Move that just by focusing their minds on it, not using their hands at all. And then when they have all been able to achieve that, then they're given something a little bit heavier, like a piece of paper, and then a little bit heavier until they finally get to be able to move a bigger object like the basketball by their mind so they can throw it to each other across the circle simply with their minds, never using their physical bodies at all. And at that point, they sort of graduate from that particular part of their learning. But a lot of the kids are taken for these classes, for learning wonderful psychic skills. And many of them really do learn psychic skills. Uh, some of them use the psychic skills back here on Earth, and others sort of forget about it. And um, yeah, and they go to classrooms um, with extraterrestrials, they learn about star maps, they learn about where the beings come from, and in some cases how they travel through space, 
and they sit in sort of an apparatus that has a computer-like instrument, not exactly like our computers, but somewhat similar. And so they have all kinds of information that they learn with the guidance of the extraterrestrial teachers. And then, oh, thank you, Mary, um, some children, uh, Whitley Strieber is one of them, this really happened to him and it happens to many other children, that, that they wake up in the middle of a night and they feel very impelled um, to go outside, get on their bicycle, and ride off into the woods where there's a gathering of ETs and other Earth children, and that is a school. He calls it, Whitley Streeper calls it, the secret school, which I think is a perfect name for it. And at that school in the night, in the woods, they are taught all kinds of things about the universe, about the other beings out there in the universe, and again, how to develop special psychic skills and to be more aware of the preciousness of the earth and the importance of taking care of the earth and all kinds of really worthwhile teachings. So these are some of, of the examples of things and uh, that are in the book. And I love it that the book ends with, I'll um, show that last page, because your picture is bigger than mine. Um, it's a council, thank you, a council meeting, hold it up a little bit and a little bit more. Um, yeah, it's a, basically a round table and sitting around the table are a variety of extraterrestrial types and they have gathered together in one of the many council meetings that they are among extraterrestrial extraterrestrial civilizations and so those beings of different types they all work wonderfully together they're all working for good so they are helping to create peace between their planets and between their planets and our planet and some of the discussions that they have in these council meetings are about planet earth and what's happening to humanity, what's happening to the Earth itself. And believe me, a lot of these benevolent beings who look so different than we do, but they're so tuned in to us, and they really want the best for humanity and for planet Earth. We are mm. a great concern to them. Sometimes I think we're more of a great concern to many of the extraterrestrials than we are even to ourselves. Uh, they want us to wake up and yes. these polluting practices help with the climate change process that's happening naturally and happening through all of our polluting methods as well. Uh, so, you know, we can learn a lot from them and, and I think we need to. I really do. So if we can get children at a very young age to be aware of these things, the preciousness of Earth and, and humanity, um, all the better that they can grow up and, 
you know, take more responsibility for helping out. And that, that is such yes. a great Right. And just one Let me just this. I just want to say when I took it into a preschool here of a friend of mine that uh, runs his preschool here to three different classrooms, a preteen and then kindergarten, they were all raising their hands. I said, who knows anything about zero G? Half the kids raised their hand and said they knew what zero G was. They were so excited to be questioned about this. So it is, it, it's an environmental uh, emergency, but the children will are the ambassadors of the future. And that's what this book and what we're all doing here today. Because children, my daughter worked at NASA and I print out images for the kids that would come down to Moffett Field. Um, she, I said, tell me what you said about a good book and good drawings. And she said, not only can great drawings, but a good book can fuel a child's interest in space if it, they discover through art images and designs. And I know that from teaching kids art too, but she really saw it there. They were so turned on, you know, NASA had that great strobes of all the children from the, the neighborhood and the high schools going in there as they do. But, um, it is about stories of friendship and learning, and we can learn a lot from them, too, and from the kids, as we all are now, and you are with young ones. They really are with it. Oh, yes. Oh, I know. It's incredible. But I want to vouch for your book in a very personal way, because when I wrote Escaping from Eden a couple of years ago, and people started contacting me with their stories, they would often test me to see if I was a trustworthy person for them to share their very personal story with. And yes. often the test question would be, Paul, have you ever experienced a close encounter or something like that? And early on, I'd say, well, well no, I haven't personally, but many of my friends, but the more stories I listened to, the more I thought, wait a minute. <laughs> and I started remembering things that had happened to me years ago and a whole bunch of strange things that happened when I was 20 that I had interpreted as spiritual or religious experiences that I now thought, hang on, no, something about that never fit in. Something else was going on, and I began to realize that, yes, I think I have had some encounters, and that's why, Barbara, you appear in my book, The of Eden. I'm sitting outside your office waiting to do a session with you because I'm wanting to get to the bottom of what I can remember. But to your book right now, even as you were showing those pictures, I, I looked at uh, the picture of the boy in the night on the bicycle and I oh. thought, oh my goodness, that that was me. Because really? when I was a boy, oh. I would often, it would be sort of half past eight at night, my parents would think I was upstairs in my bedroom and I'd think no I've got to go out and so I'd just go out into the night sometimes on my bike sometimes just and I think what on earth was I doing I was making myself so vulnerable and what might have happened and what might have happened that I don't remember when I was 20 it was a habit of my life that, that after midnight I'd go out for a long walk all on my own out uh -huh. across the golf course at night Whoa. and I'm now thinking well is that why all that stuff happened in that year of my life 
So I just joined those dots looking at your picture, Mary. So kudos to you for creating a picture that helps to surface memory. But I'm going to bring this to a question now because you've been talking about lessons that some of our visitors might want us to learn working with us so that we have a better human experience, that we have a better experience on planet Earth. And yet, many close encounter experiences, including with children, I think, include a level of suppression of memory, that there is some pattern of non-disclosure that intrudes even into our own experiences so that we come back from an encounter and we won't remember it for 20 right. years. So what is that about? Well, some of the extraterrestrials have explained it, that they really don't want to interfere with our human lives. And so they make it so that we're not aware at all or very barely aware that these things are happening. Uh, so it's, it's like we're living two lives, in a sense, those of us who are experiencing these things. Our regular human daily life that we were born to live and we chose as a soul to live. And then this other component too, this other aspect. Um, and they, they know that we are very complicated beings, we humans, and um, that it's quite a, quite a thing, quite a chore uh, to live a regular lifetime anyway with all that's in it and all the responsibilities that we have and so forth. And so they, they try to keep a low profile. That's part of it. And then I think there are some beings who don't want to be caught. It's a more self-serving motivation on their part for us to not know or not remember very much. So again, there's so many different kinds of beings and, and different kinds of agendas. But the good thing is, I think, that when somebody like Mary, for instance, um, really wants to know, uh, there, there are ways to find out. And um, of course, my particular method for helping people find out is the hypnotic regression route. Um, Mary has found some wonderful, very talented uh, psychic people uh, who've been able to uh, see into her and all the experiences that she has and bring forth a lot of information. And she's really worked hard, you know, to, to learn if she's done regression work and, and uh, the other work. And, um, you know, so it's gradually coming back to her. And I think that, that that can be true of other people if they if they find the right people to go to for help. And what I what I found too, you help me with regression. I'm I'm so curious and I'm I'm platy and fast, you know, we're speedy, supposedly. Um, different people like you have a skill, I have a skill, Paul has a skill, everyone has different skills. And because I feel like mine with the hybridization me being an ET human myself, coming from the long line of NASA, I knew it was going to take a village to tap into different people. When I went to that first starseed class in LA, when I met you three, uh, three years ago, whenever it was, um, I said, is there anybody in the room? There were 10 of us in there. And I said, does anybody know anybody who was a rocket scientist who had an experience that turned a mystic? Because that's, I was coming from my rocket scientist dads. 
And I called Dave the next day, and he was Dave Barnett, who was in rocket science. And four or five or ten of my friends now were were people like us that were in a different field. And then, and so I have really enjoyed. I've always known that I had to go wherever I could, and I've always been lucky enough to find the right people like you, Paul, and you, Barbara, to to connect with in my life. But I think whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, and whatever, whatever kind of a mission you're on, most people don't want to know. My friends say, God, you know, the few that I'm telling now, now everybody sort of knows I'm doing this. They said, that is the gutsiest thing you've ever done doing this book. You've been talking about it for a while, but you just did it. And it's really out there. And I was like, oh my God, this is sort of scary now. But I've also been known as the space lady. And I've known that I was going to be a voice. The Palladians have told me, as I said, for 15 or 18 years, write the book. And it was first going to be the girl in the blue dress, abduction and obsession. And I said, that is so negative and gross. I'm going to wait till I know more. And I needed to wait more. And I needed to wait till I found Barbara. And I came to a level of confidence and experience from talking, hearing five or six great people like you, Barbara, say, yes, this is validate. I wanted to get it from a lot of different people because I they call me a scientist on there. When I go to these two million square feet projects, I said, to Dave a few weeks ago, I said, what do they call me? They said, oh, architect, engineer, your scientist, that you, you're, what, what, what's, what they like about you is through your telepathy, you will give them faster than almost anybody else on the planet. That's why they said some of the good guys in the bad programs are fighting with the ETs or fighting over you. And I said, well, that's ridiculous. I've heard that before, but I said, that's stupid. I don't believe that. But they said, because I can process because of all my work, you have gifts, you have gifts, everybody has gifts. This is just my weird one that I happen to hear from Shirley and Dave in the last couple of weeks, really, after my Palladian trip. I said, well, yeah, so I'm, I'm up and having dinner with my two Palladian kids that are seven feet tall, that have red hair, that are floating in a living room. I said, what the hell does a living room for a, the hundredth time? I said, what does the living room look like? They said, I said, is there a sofa? They said, yes, it's a sofa. But the community where they live in the Pleiades is like a floating see-through village. And their apartment is like a floating see-through thing. And I said, well, do they have a sofa? And of course, I of course have to ask, is there a TV in there? Is this, you know, what's the furnishings like? And they said, they only have a sofa because they don't sit down. And they like Amazon, they said, you can just, they can bring in whatever they want in two seconds and then get rid of it. And I said, what did we eat? I know I've heard that most ETs don't eat. And they said, well, they didn't eat. They made you a purple dinner just as a joke. And you were laughing with them that John and Shirley said when I was, and Dave were all there watching me go have an early dinner with my Palladian, the father who was so proud that he got my eggs and to create these two children. And then his cousins got two more of me and whoever the Palladian, whatever the other material they got was, so wild. And, um, and then they said, but you only had like an hour there. You were gone for three and a half hours, the middle of the night, um, Sunday, um, August 20th. They had to sort of sneak me in. It took a year. I was waiting to go on this particular trip for a year. I went on five other trips this summer to Neptune and Pluto and uh, Mercury and X-21 planet that John doesn't even know about that's six light years away, helping them refresh these dark gray, cold, inside Earth, live work inside these planets, the facilities that get really tired. And they like the creativity and imagination, of course, of humans. And they like yes. that I can, and I can communicate. 
And they were saying, I said, well, so what was I doing? What was the space like in, you know, in the Pleiades? And they said it was a, a big tower. And I said, surely, well, how big? It was at 5,000 square feet. Was it 20,000? They said 2 million square feet. And I said, what, what was the purpose of it? And they said, we sat and watched you. They were there for about two hours. You were talking. And I said, "How? who else was there? And they said, a whole lot of Palladians, a lot of Arcturians, three or four different species. I did, said, did they allow negative species in? They said, no negative species allowed in that whole building. They can really control that. And I said, what was I doing? And they said, oh, well, you always do. The, the architecture, the design, the bringing aesthetics in, using great mosaics, using curved walls, making it really fun and colorful, but practical and, and usable for multi-different functions. And I said, well, it was there a restaurant there? And they said, ha, 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 we don't eat, they were saying. And I said, well, why, why me? Why little old me? Why did they, they keep, why have they been taking me up there to train me, put new information in my brain to help me, support me? And then, I, and then in, um, when I was 30, when I was living in Colorado, working at the design firm, working on the Star Trek logo, I was so obsessed by the Star Trek logo, of course, that we worked on for about two years at this firm. I wasn't the main lead designer in it, but I was part of the team just going, oh my God, this is so cool. I evidently went then, because I remember my 30th birthday in Boulder, and I went then and I said, why did I, why was I able to go at 30? Did I go up? Was I with my dad on that trip? No. Who was I with? And they said, because you had been so many times, they trusted you in your experience because all the training you've been doing since like in the womb all the way up that you were able to go on your own. And that's what I've been doing a lot since then up until six or seven times this summer. But they said that what they liked was that within three or four, five minutes, I could come up with three different designs of a two million square foot space. My dad was my dad was like a genius. I, I have like a little bit of smarts in there, but my dad was like a genius at Princeton with Einstein and stuff. He was just unbelievable. He can do structure in five seconds. But anyway, they said you would telepathically give. And Shirley said, I could see you. She said, I was there with you. I was taking in your three or four designs instantly. And then I said, well, then did you give it back? Did I get to work on it? Did you improve it? And they said, no, they just took it and they go with it. She said, why they liked you was because you're so quick and it takes, your ideas are so fast and they're all good and they're smart and they're functional. And then it takes 15 years to build some of these things. They said, that's why you've been going and our Deal still doing a lot of work. And I said, well, I wish I was getting paid. I'm pretty broke. <laughs> <laughs> and psychics and stuff the last three years, I've, I've spent so much of my wad. But I thought, wow, how cool is that, that I'm refreshing it space. It is cool. Good and, and not good ETs. Some it of these is very cool. I really resonate with what you're saying, Mary, because from my done, studies. Have you done that? Have you ever that, done anything? No, but I, I, what I was going to say is, from my studies, I have come to believe that some of our visitors come because they find human beings fascinating and very attractive. They like our creativity. Yeah. And I think there's something unique about Homo sapiens. We have a capacity for love, compassion, creativity that is quite unique. And so I find it quite believable that another species would say, let's get a human to design this space. Let's get Mary Edwards. Well, and and I love the fact you, you chose such a great career. 
Well, I uh, did. To have that input. I know that my grandfather, my dad would have, that's why I picked that family. But what's so cool is they said that so many of the other species have the technological, but it's always gray. And I'd say to Dave, time after time, what, what, what is mercury inside of mercury? He said, Mary, like on the phone to Denver, same thing. It's pale gray. You come in, you go through like the white tornado, you sit with them. They like your communication skills. You talk to some of the, all the different ETs, you find out what they need. Then you come back three or four months or six months later, they plan it. So I go back and have another meeting. So they are very, you know, and I'm, I'm a, taskmaster for myself but they they invite me back and sneak me in in like at the Pleiades I was asked they've been talking about this to me for a year I told you that Barbara many times and I said well why do they have to sneak me in that's so creepy and I probably shouldn't even be talking about this stuff but they I said was it a holiday there where it was like Labor Day like today in San Francisco where everybody's off partying and they said well no they just you know, there's a lot of competition out there for all the new developments because it is the new space race like it was in the 60s. Now everybody's going up, you know, Elon Musk and all these other companies are up there divvying architecture and building things and wanting minerals and wanting oil and water, just like this first space race was. It's always about money and getting there first. That's why they don't tell us a lot about what's going on. But they said, you go up there and you make it fun and it is creative and imaginative. And they get sick of, they said, I said, is it warfare too? Yes, they said, it's the, the interiors always start at really gray and drab. And you come in and make it fun and happy and functional. Like I've done on all these hospitals, hotels, retail spaces, Daniel Hall, Madison Square Garden, Tabor Center. I mean, it, it makes sense because this is sort of what I've done my whole life and loved it. And and what my grandfather did is with his father who had a design build company in Chicago. And my grandfather actually, Chick, Charles Weinheimer, was such an inspiration to me too because he had a lumber company. He and his father had a lumber company. So mom and dad met, they were two big Chicago families. One was space, one was architecture. <laughs> But And so Chick, the nickname of my grandfather, Charles Reinheimer, had a big lumber company to design build. And he was so sick of all the waste of wood that Frank Lloyd Wright in Chicago wasted that actually my grandfather, Charles Reinheimer, was one who standardized the two by four. And so, and then we went as kids around the world talking with Chick and my sisters didn't really get off on all the space and all the stuff that I did. I was like the boy of the family. So I'd fly around with Chick and go to these meetings with him to get architects and developers and builders to really understand how precious wood and lumber was and how important it was for us to help save the forests and not to be stupid with what we have done to our planet. But anyway, so it is interesting that they they do pick strains of DNA for certain reasons, I, I now believe. I, I look forward to being able to see the interiors. And every time I go up, they do something wonderful for me. They've really helped me. Um, they've changed my age, they said, a little bit because they liked my my eggs. So they took off some years of my life back in the 20s when I had already had my kids. My, my children in real life here are 31 and 33. Lizzie works at Salesforce in London connecting dots globally. And Alex works in forestry here at the Presidio Trust. But um, the, all these, all, all the other kids are nurses, doctors, all my, my 
uh, my hybrid kids are all doing wonderful things for the planet too, which I'm so glad to know that all of them in their late twenties and a couple of the grandchildren, the one grandchild that had web feet and web hands, the Chinese couple, he's in tech and she does, she's a doctor. They had enough money that they could change their, his hands and feet to not to be ridiculed when he grew up. And so now he had, he, had, he had web four on each side and then same on the feet. So now he has five, 10 fingers and 10 toes, evidently, that I hear. So how magical is that? That they do help us and, 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 really- and the family connection. It's so interesting across your entire family. There are these connections in terms of what you're doing and, and the calling that's on you. But I want to bring this back to the book, back to ET Friends in Space, because I just love the fact that it enables parents to listen to their children and to listen to their experiences and hopefully learn something from their children about the world we're in. I had an amazing experience with my daughter, who I think was 11 years old at the time, And it's the kind of thing you could just laugh off and ignore and say, oh, aren't children funny and imaginative? But my ears pricked up when I went in to check on my daughter just before. Hopefully she was falling asleep. (laughs) And she said, Dad, I I just had a funny thought. (laughs) I just had a funny thought, she said. I just thought that maybe there might be aliens who are hovering over this part of Canberra and they're laughing at us because we live on the surface and we don't live on the interior. They think that's funny. And they also think it's funny that everything we use is stuck to the ground because we haven't worked out how to manipulate gravity. And I thought, oh my goodness, that is a very interesting thought for an 11-year-old girl to have. And so... Being a little bit more alert, I said to my daughter, Evie, I said, well, you know, Evie, that's really interesting. And that could be that could be true, couldn't it? And she said, well, I thought the same. Ah. And I was. So glad. And hope for your more parents. I'm not hearing anything. You're defrozen. But my hope is that your book will help more parents hear stories like that from their kids and realize we're living in a far more interesting universe than we thought. Now, we've been talking more than 90 minutes. We could talk forever and you must come again. But I want to close by bringing it back to the book. You tell us how we can find it and how we can keep up with your work, Barbara, and your work, Mary. Well, the book can be found very easily by anybody on Amazon.com. And uh, that's a very easy, wonderful way. And you, you can use the whole title which is Kids Adventures with E.T. Friends in Space. Or you can just type in, you go to the book section and you type in E.T. Friends, 
that will take you to the book as well. And we have a hardcover edition and a softcover edition and a Kindle edition. So different price ranges and different uh, appeal to different people. And then for my work, um, people can find me on my website, which is Barbara Lamb Regressions, plural, regressions.com. Barbara Lamb Regressions.com. And people can communicate me with me that way too. Uh, there's a section for that and a section for ordering the books as well. And people can find me at Mary Edwards design.com Mary E-D-W-M-A-R-Y-E-D-W-A-R-D-S design.com Wonderful. Thank you both so much for joining us this time on The Fifth Kind TV. Uh, I would love to continue this conversation another time. Barbara, we still haven't spoken about crop circles and I think one day we should really have that conversation. Yes. But for today, thank you Thank you so much for what you shared with us. You've given us heaps to think about, and we'll look forward to the next time. Well, thank you so much, Paul. It's been such a pleasure. It's been wonderful. Likewise. Both of us. Thank you. Thank you both. The Fifth Kind 